Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Laura, say hello. Hello. I try to mix it up every time. I can't. You do I, because I don't you don't want, want, want me to do the dad I, joke. I, I definitely that honestly, my whole life is trying to get you to stop doing dad jokes. But um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, today is Monday, March twenty seventh, um, and we have a really really fun show for you today. We've got an interview with uh, Carly Silver. She's an assistant editor at Harlequin. Um, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about romance publishing. We talk about uh, some funny stories she's got from that. And we do thoroughbred horses. Oh yeah, she's got a lot of other interests that were you know pretty fun to work in. Um, but it's a really fun interview. I know that um, a lot of you guys really liked the romance episode we did early on, and this kind of it feels like it kind of builds on that. So uh, we hope you enjoy it. Um, but with, uh, why don't we start with the kind of basic rundown? Absolutely. This week is, of course, the last week of February, which means it's time to look towards March. Our query episode, our special episode where we critique queries is available uh, starting March 9th. And our first pages episode will be available March 23rd. Now, if you want access to these, you have to visit us at patreon.com. And if you want us to critique either your first page or your query, send it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So before we get to our interview, yeah. I, I want to talk about something. Um, you and I have been talking quite a bit about this particular subject yes. because it's something that you're actively working on now. Yes. And that is commissioning books, uh-huh. commissioning particular ideas so that then, you know, these books will then be written. Sure. Um, so commissioning is interesting. Um, and I think it, for me, it's always made a lot more sense because, you know, as someone who likes books a lot, as all Asians, I figure, are. I hate books. <laughs> I don't hate books. There are days when I hate books. Um, but on most days when I don't hate books, you end up, like, coming up with a lot of ideas, right? Like, you end up really thinking, oh, man, that'd be a great book because you spend all day thinking about markets and stuff. It's like, oh, that'd be so cool to see something like that or I really want to see a book from this person. And eventually – um you just want to go find the book yourself instead of waiting for it to come in, right? And I think it speaks a little bit like I know that a lot of the writers who listen to the show, uh, they hate the query process. And I don't blame them. Like, Fundamentally, it's, it's very it's, dissatisfactory for everyone it's, involved. It's terrible for everybody involved. It is. And, you know, you can do all these little bits of refining like we do on our query show. We talk about trying to make it more effective and all that sort of stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, it really is just kind of a um, – it's not a crapshoot. I don't want to say it's a crapshoot, but it kind of is. You know what I mean? Because you're just sending stuff everywhere and agents are getting so many of them. And it feels it feels kind of, you know, random and weird on the agent's end sometimes too when you are really hoping to find a certain book and it's just not coming in. Like, And then uh, you get mad at the other books for not being <laughs> exactly, that book? Exactly. Like eventually you have to work out that frustration by just going and getting the specific thing that's on your mind, right? And so – that process is frustrating in and of itself too because it involves me sending a bunch of, you know, basically, honestly, my own versions of queries to authors or to people I think would really be great to talk to you about certain projects, right? And I end up writing these little letters over email to all sorts of people and then like sitting on my hands waiting for someone to email me back. It's the equivalent of asking somebody out in mid- middle school. Like, it is. It's I, like – Only if you do – yeah, it's yeah. asking someone out over middle school – but only if you're, like, doing it over, like, AOL Instant Messenger or something. <laughs> and then you get their, like, out like away message and you got to, like, wait a while. Like, yeah, that's basically, like, 
a huge part of my job. <laughs> yeah, and then you like see the it, little like am typing yeah, yeah, yeah. button you for like, like six a, days. You have like a whole panic attack about it. Yeah, right. Um, but it, it's like that, and I just think that it's um, you know we were talking about you know last week and everybody got mad at me about my book Twitter thing. Um, but like it kind of is a way of pushing back against that frustration too, right? It's like instead of waiting for the books to come to you and posting about what you want, it's going out and trying to find it. And I think that that's a really, that was a huge part of what we tried to do as editors at the few places I've worked. Um, that was a big part of your build a press, your, your, oh, it was. your make believe press It was because episode. I, it's just so, I've always, I've always liked that so much better than waiting for the perfect book to show up like a fairy godmother, you know? Um, I think that it's a huge, it's a huge part. It lets you, um, the other thing with commissioning, and I guess I've been thinking about, you know, like you said, we've been talking about it so much lately off air just because I've been really trying to find specific things that I want that simply aren't on the, that don't come, you know, a lot of different stuff doesn't come through the query system. Give us an example. So queries and I think by extension, writer Twitter, which is largely attached to the query process. Is that fair to say? I think that that's like fair to say. Most pe- most people who are doing the kind of query thing are also looking on social media for um, what those specific agents are looking for. But one thing that that never um, – that I feel like those two places never really encapsulate are most like really upmarket nonfiction doesn't come through there. Like you don't get many – really academic historians who are – or like I guess like maybe specialists is how I would put it. It's like um, – or at least specialists who are thinking specifically of that thing. Obviously, you know, we get queries all the time from talented people in whatever fields, but they're writing a novel now, you know, or they're writing something, um, you know, more commercial as opposed to something specifically attached to the field that they're, you know, in. So it's like um, with a lot of – nonfiction, and even honestly with certain types of literary fiction, you don't necessarily see it on the, you know, through Twitter or through um, the, you know, just the, the inbox, you know, it doesn't come in. So you have to go kind of hunting for it a little more. And um, that's interesting in and of itself, but it's just such a totally different process. You know, there's so many different ways to find a book. and Like you need to go find the guy who's like, broke the lid off of bees being too fat to mate. (laughs) (laughs) That has become the centerpiece of my online presence is making, is fat shaming bees. Um, (laughs) So that's good. I'm really, I'm really proud of my choices. Um, But, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just, and it's such a totally different, you know, I find it interesting because it's such a totally different way to think, right? Like the way that I talk to um, potential debut novelists is so different than the way that I, would email like a biologist and I really love trade science. I worked on it for a long time at both presses I was at and, you know, I want to find scientists to write book. And it's like those people are not, they just don't think or talk in the same way as someone who's writing, you know, their first piece of fiction. And so you're, you're honest, constantly like putting on different hats and trying to um, strike this balance, I think between, um, Pitching them enough of an idea that they get us, they could picture it, that you're helping them picture wanting to write the book. Because these people presumably are not thinking about writing a book yet, right? Like part of the trick. They're like of, too busy like teaching right. and like making leaps and bounds in science. Right. Well, part of the, yeah, part of the trick of commissioning is um, finding people who aren't who aren't who aren't writing books yet or haven't written a book before and convincing them 
that they want to write one, right? So you want to give them enough of a vision that it feels that it kind of gets them, you know, starting to think and imagine a little bit, but not too much that they feel restricted or like, oh, I don't want to write that book, you know? And I'm not saying I'm any good at this. Like, I mean, it's like the query, like the query system, it's, you know, mostly ineffective emails. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of um, casting about and trying to find the right people. and A lot of putting baby in the corner. I get put in the corner constantly. I'm so if, sorry. That's yeah, very hard. Um, but, <laughs> but it's fun and it lets you um, – yeah. I mean I – so, you know, kind of piggybacking off our Twitter conversation uh, last week when we were talking about what's the effective way to be on there as a writer. For me, I use Twitter to engage with writers all the time, but I think I do it a little bit differently. It's I'm more finding things to read and then – emailing those authors or finding interesting a lot of journalists yeah, exactly that's that sort of thing right it's like you see someone who's like posted a really interesting set of columns on something and it's like okay i want to talk to that specific person about what they're writing on so like i feel like i use twitter twitter to find writers but somehow that's very different than what i think we talk about when we say writer twitter you know what i mean yeah i i don't really do any true commissioning yeah. i mean the closest that i get really is I have an idea and then I think that idea like should belong to one of my current authors. Mm -hmm. So somebody that yeah. I've already signed sure. and then I go to this yeah. author and say, hey, can you write Golden Girls in Space? <laughs> and that's actually – that's yeah. literally something I've been yeah. asking for for two and a half years. Um, I think I might have – I think I might have found the one. Who knows? Um but that's not really commissioning. That's, hey, I have this idea. Do you maybe want to like well, sort of. I mean it's this? just – but that's just leaning yeah. on your list. I mean, it's still commissioning. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, you look at the things that you do and a lot of those people are all just incredibly logged on, you know. Oh, so hard. <laughs> they like put it in their veins. Uh, yeah. Um, so and that's and that's good. And I think that you um, certainly have a much bigger online following than I do and a much more like cohesive one. I How would... do you feel about that, Eric? Oh, no, it's fine. It's just but I think that. <laughs> It, what it means is that when you – that people are much more educated about what you want yeah, when they send true. you things than what – when well, I get stuff that feels very much out of left field in the query system. People keep right? sending me thrillers. <laughs> I don't know why people and keep like, sending me thrillers. And like part of that – and I, I realize – I mean some of that is writers not doing their homework. But probably mostly it's me um, – you know, I, I don't think I've quite connected with – uh, writer Twitter yet, and when that happens, and you start to feel like you're sitting on your hands, it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go find. I'm gonna go find something myself. You you turn into the querier. Suddenly, the hunted has become the hunter. <laughs> um, I don't actually. I think I I suddenly become the. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm hunted or I'm mostly just a scared animal. Whatever, whichever one in the middle. You're like you're you like we're caught in the crossfire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like the poor tree that yeah. gets chopped down by accident. Um, one thing, one thing that I've been seeing, you know, on this topic of commissioning, one thing I've been seeing grow quite a bit in yeah. the past even year is a lot of commissioning <clears throat> from editor editors mm -hmm. at fiction houses hmm. looking for stuff. Yeah. So you know, you know, and we we call well, that. Like, a, yeah, so like, what do you mean? Like, what so kind of stuff? so I'm talking specifically about IP, which stands okay. for intellectual yeah. property. Um, and what that is is typically. You know, a lot of like children's imprints do this. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, like Razorbill, for instance, yeah. like 50% of their list is commissioned, but it's like nobody knows. I don't know why, because yeah. they're just like very efficient and they just yeah. like get shit done. Yeah. But 
basically what they do is they come up with an idea in-house and then they lean on the relationships with editors they have or, you know, if they see a book in a, you know, that just came out and they read it and they really liked it and they think that that author might be good for this kind of thing, they'll reach out to the agent and say, hey, here's this idea. Do you have anybody who might want to give a shot at writing a sample? Yeah. So they give you this like two or three page treatment mm-hmm. and – you know, I take it to my authors and I say, hey, do you maybe want to do this? Um, and sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they say no. And, you know, two weeks later or whatever, we send it in and then we wait and then nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then if we're lucky, if we're very lucky, uh, this author's treatment was the best one. And then if we're lucky, um, They'll do a contract where basically they're 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 writing this book on spec. So a lot mm-hmm. of times they don't own the copyright anymore. Mm-hmm. The author doesn't own the copyright. It's the the publisher. You know they work very closely with an editor to to do the plot points and to do the characters more than just you know that that end stage line editing that happens at a lot of places. Um, and I've been seeing that a lot lately. I've been seeing that a lot for novels. I've been seeing it a lot, especially children's. I've been seeing it a lot. For I mean, there's always media tie-in stuff like Star Wars and all that jazz in the science yeah. fiction fantasy. But I've been seeing it a lot also for anthologies, a lot of calls specifically mm-hmm. for something. Yeah, um, which is exciting. It it you know it's 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 exciting to me because I have a lot of authors that that you know write fiction and are really interested in that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, because who doesn't want you know a big chunk of money for something that's like already plotted? Right, like here, write yeah. this. Exactly. Like that sounds lovely. Exactly. Yeah, I think the other thing it helps. Um, you know, you and I work at an agency that is it's boutique. It's you know, so that means it's smaller. We're not you know we're set in Minneapolis and not New York City, and sometimes the commissioning game helps you find the clients before it starts to become a giant. Uh, arms race with larger agencies and larger publishers. Before they were cool. Exactly. Like you can find <laughs> it's how you know it's how you punch above your weight class a little bit, right? Like yeah. this is how you find the authors who um, might not otherwise want to sign with you. You know, if you can get there first, you get there. There's some help there. You know, there's definitely some bonus points you get for that. And for showing up with uh, an idea exactly, and passion exactly. and knowledge about what they do, exactly. rather than just seeing dollar signs. Exactly. Like that kind of stuff, it's – I don't know. So like to me, commissioning is the most interesting bit of agenting. But it's also the bit that feels most like just groping in the dark where you just don't um, – you know, there's a lot of days wasted where you're just researching things and people and you just kind of come up with nothing. Or you just know? like and reading articles on the internet. Trying to find like – but um, – I guess it's not technically different than going through your query inbox and not finding anything you love. You but know? then you get to see your number of emails drop down yeah, to zero, and then you live t- you live text <laughs> it to me. And then That's the, that is that is the difference between the query system and the commissioning. Is queries have this false sense of progress where you just like plowing through emails as opposed. Except to, then you know next week you have another hundred. Yeah, you know it never ends. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, should we go to the interview? I think we should go to the interview. And we're here with Carly Silver, assistant editor at Harlequin. Carly, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks oh. for coming on. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. So you do romance books. Yes, I do. 
what sort of what's that like just uh, just basic it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for example yesterday i needed like a a a back pillow from the couch in my apartment because the couch that i have is like 40 years old Mm -hmm. and it's another story but um i was looking on amazon and i came across a giant penis shaped back pillow (laughs) So now, Brandon, this is, this is not you know, I think I office. saw, I think I saw a picture of this. I think yeah, you sent so, it out. Yeah. So the great thing about, again, this is not for my, this is not for my office. Yeah. So I came across it and I was like, this is sort of too weird not to share. So I tweeted it out. <laughs> and the thing is when you're involved on social media with romance people, it's what, you know, you get this, a really great response. It's not just, Oh, it's a penis. It's, it's just, it's sort of like the whole working in romance is, is very winky in a good way, and it's fun. And I didn't, I didn't come, realize until I just said it that sort of came out of some weird, something weird, unintended pun. But you know, <laughs> like that, that's one of my favorite parts of working in romance, both the people and the fact that it is, you know, like it, it's very tongue in cheek. Well, or tongue in whole... other things, really. I mean, it depends. Wait, so did you buy the pillow? Oh God, no. I mean, I, I. First of all, I was turned off by the fact that it was a giant penis. I mean, you know, I, as a pillow, I feel like if someone were to walk into my apartment, it's a little alarming. It's aggressive. <laughs> it's definitely aggressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what we like to call the power move. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's um, – but there was something like they, like they said like, oh, it has giant breasts, like the way they described like the testicle, like pillow mm. portion of it. It's like if they can't even get basic anatomy right, I don't really trust them to make a decent pillow. So I just got like a very plain one yeah. that would support my thoracic spine, which I suppose is the actual, you know, intention. But I mean, if I had more balls, literally, I probably would have gone for it. But it would be a little weird to walk into an apartment that has like no penis, like, or it doesn't sound right, but like there's there's no like penis paraphernalia. And then all of a sudden it's just like, pillow, oh, yeah. but like it was like it was big. It was like. You got to like start somewhere. Feet. So that yeah, does I, that does confirm my suspicion that most of uh, romance editors are just really, really good at just creatively and critically discussing genitalia. Do I have that? Do I have that correct? I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I think <laughs> that. Well, I mean, look, there, there, every, there are obviously very ranges of sensuality depending on what kind of book you're working on. Mm-hmm. I think that I mean, if you're editing a love scene, there are certain either logistics or questions or things that. You have to get down pat. I mean, for yeah. example, you know, this is something I understand why it might not occur to an author when you're writing a sex scene, but you have to think of protection. If unless like, mm. you know, they're deliberately for some reason not using a condom, like they're on a deserted island or the one of the hooks of the book is that uh, the heroine has, gets pregnant. Or, do like, you, have, do you that, have condomless desert island sex in your list? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, 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 I was, I've actually never edited a Desert Island book, but I was just trying to think of an instance. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, sure. Like, but, but, but in general, you know, thinking for the modern world and the modern woman, it's something that to think about. And again, unless for some reason it's worked into the plot that you don't, right, right. The heroine either isn't on the pillow, the hero doesn't have a condom. You got, you have to. And I can understand how something like that, which is, it's funny because it's something that comes up a lot when I edit, and it's just, you know, it's. Um, or like the logistics of how a certain sex position might work. So I remember editing a book where the, I think they were having sex in a hammock. And I was thinking <laughs> of a hammock like with holes in it and like logistically and it swings. Uh-huh. So I was kind of like – I remember talking to the author who was really lovely about it. It was so funny. <laughs> it's like I, I 
the way she described she was like a she was thinking of a different kind of hammock than I was because I was thinking of like the netted rope one yeah. that like makes swings and it would be very difficult to actually get any traction on. Yeah, the one where you'd get, like, your elbow stuck in the hole and then you like, fall like, over. Yeah, I can't even, like, read in a hammock. I mean, yeah, I can't even get in a hammock. It's, like, without, like, like flip. I mean, yeah. so, but the way she described it to me, then it actually made more sense. But, so, I had to, I was originally, like, asking her, like, given this, like, it's a hammock, would that, how would that fit there? Or how would he do that with it? But... You know, that's one of the great things is having conversations with authors and, you know, everyone's it's a great sense of fun because every, you know, it's a it's a escapist genre at heart. And it's, you know, full of love and full of warmth. And the authors are just as passionate about writing it as, as we are about editing it. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's also it's just sometimes it's just funny that you're I, I have to take a step back and look at what my job is. And it's fun. So then, you know, like weird stuff, like you have to you have to think about a lot of physicality and a lot of like emotional stuff in a way that, you know, other books don't necessarily have to do. So like is is all this like very specific romance stuff like does that come across in the editorial meeting like when all everybody gets together at Harlequin and they're like, okay, we need to decide if we want to buy this book. And they're like, well, the point against it is that there's sex in a hammock and that doesn't really make sense. In terms of the editorial process. Every editor and does things differently. We for so I mostly acquire for Harlequin series, which is our shorter category romance line, and that's it's that's very specific and unique to Harlequin. So mm-hmm. I it's usually shorter. Can depending on the line, we have a bunch of different little imprints. Uh, well, not so little. I mean, they're, they're uh, really well known, but uh, I mean, like some are four books a month, some are six books a month, some are two books a month, but the, the sheer amount of books in the editorial is really staggering. But so depending on the line and depending on the editor and depending on the sensuality level, there are lots of different specifications. So it's important for an author to know and an agent and me as an editor to know what the line is looking for in terms of themes, in terms of sensuality level, in terms of word count. And I think that that's something that is I always have to take into account when I bring a project to a senior editor or an executive editor because, you know, even if it wouldn't be a waste of their time, I want to bring something that would be a – I would know why it would be a fit for the program that they're working on. So like how – and on that note, I think there's a lot to unpack there that's interesting and specific to uh, romance acquisitions, which is like a lot of features in these books that aren't necessarily um, like – considerations and other stuff so like when you pitch something to the rest of your editorial peers like what what are like the basic uh things that get discussed like you said you mentioned a phrase just now like sensuality level like you know things like that are there other like what sort of stuff comes up in a standard like editorial acquisitions discussion that might not that people might not expect or definitely may not be considering in other genres well i think you know again every editorial we i i do uh Again, I acquire across our series line, so our word counts are very specific. And mm-hmm. the sort, like, so when I acquire for Harlequin Romantic Suspense, I'm acquiring Romantic Suspense. So obviously, there are a lot. There's a lot of room within that, but you know, there are certain beats that it, you know, a suspense novel would generally hit, and there's a certain word count. So you know, if it's a hundred thousand words and our max word count is like seventy-five thousand, that probably wouldn't be a great fit to bring forward unless you know, that we're extenuating the circumstances. Um, and that's specific to our series program in general. I think that, and, and that's one great thing for authors to be able to research. If they ever go to want to know more about our word counts, our themes, things like that, they can go to harlequin.submittable.com, mm-hmm. which is where we 
uh, we uh, people can send in unagented submissions, but it can also learn more about what we're acquiring and um, where their manuscript might fit in. So in terms of sensuality level, that's always a consideration because every line has its own has its own considerations. And you have like, you know, in an inspirational romance, obviously, you have to take into very different things into account than you would in uh, something you know is like a sexy contemporary book. And it's all about knowing your market. And even as an editor within the company, because we have so many different programs and so many different opportunities for authors, it's important to, if I get a project in and I'm really excited about it, I, I have to also know where I want to take so it. So like, what does, what does, um, like what does sensuality level mean? Well, you know, for, for something that's very low sensuality level, like inspirational story, you won't really have really any kissing. I mean, obviously it depends on the circumstance, but you know, that is obviously as low as it, the sensuality level okay, would get. Sure. I mean, it's still the romance, but there's not the physicality. Uh, for high sensuality level, I mean, it can be pretty explicit. Every editor in every line has certain like words they will or won't use. I mean, some uh-huh. more explicit, you can use certain yeah. certain words. Um, give us an example. Can you give us an example? <laughs> yeah, Is that embarrassing? Yeah. So one of the like you can use the word cock in certain lines, and that it's it's really up to the discretion of the senior editor <laughs> in terms of like you know how. Because ultimately, Wait, so you know, the word it, the word cock uh, like becomes you can use sort of a genre soft- consideration. Well, <laughs> that's great. Know, I, well, I think it's. I mean, obviously, that's not going to whether someone uses a word that one word or not isn't going to oh, make course, a, yeah. a manuscript. But you know, it's ultimately you have to be aware of what you know. It's just about as an editor, you know, asking, "Hey, is this it's is this word appropriate for, for each, this particular yeah. readership?" It's just you know, talking to the author and talking to the senior editor who's in charge of the line and, and keeping communication open. So for romantic suspense, we have a pretty high sensuality level. I mean, we don't, it's not erotica, so there's no menages or BDSM, but mm-hmm. you can get pretty sexy. And the hammock incident that I mentioned earlier was a romantic suspense novel. And as I said, that author waits wonderful sex scene. So it's kind of funny because we're in an open concept space in our office. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Let's... When you're editing a very intense sex scene and you're, <laughs> It's you know, it's 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 pretty. It's it's a very it's very interesting to edit in in that in an open space when you're, you're you know you're getting a like, little hot and bothered. You know the way a reader picks up a book and engages in that kind of scene is an intimate experience sure. emotionally and and when you're engaged in that. So it's the same for an editor, but you know you're engaged in that you're there with the hero and heroine as they engage in that act, but. You know, not only do you have to wear an editor's hat, you're also aware that, I mean, not like anything embarrassing would happen, but, you know, it's just, you're very, it makes you that much more conscious of the fact that you have other people around you when you're, when you're reading something that's very sensual. And, and it's just kind of, again, like so many other things, it's just funny. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's sort of the, that's sort of the nature of the beast for a lot of uh, romance setting. Like, you know, I can sort of not call across, you know, the, uh, uh, an open space, but you know, I can get up and ask a colleague, Hey, can we say cock in this? Is this yeah. considered okay? And then like, but without whispering and that, I mean, that's normal because that's part of our jobs. Obviously I'm not going to yell it. I'm saying it in a, <laughs> Why not? In a low, modulated tone because you know, I'm cons- trying to be considerate of others, but like, whereas that might be a unique question or out of the box question for a general fiction imprint for us, that's just run of the mill. And it's, it's, yeah. um, and in this case, a giant phallus-shaped mill that would really grind the <laughs> would grind the grain. Um, so, um, 
I've got a question about, so I guess, you know, we're kind of talking a little bit about like editing and kind of the words on the page here. Um, I think there's a stigma, and I think Laura agrees, and we've talked about it on the show a little bit before, um, that there's sort of this perception that romance writing is like poorly written. Yeah, or that I get it's, that a lot. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah, I want to know what your take is on that. Yeah, I the romance writers I work with are some of the most talented and yeah. passionate individuals I've ever met. And I think that there's a huge misconception, mm-hmm. both about the genre and the right people who write it and about the readership. Romance readers and writers are educated, they're smart, they're passionate, they write creative stories, innovative stories, yeah. engaging stories. And I think that that people couldn't be more wrong when they say that. And I think that it's a conception that as an industry, I know romance often really gets short shrift. And mm-hmm. I know that the Romance Writers of America organization, RWA, does a lot to combat that. I know a lot of writers themselves have to work with that. But, you know, whenever I, I once went out on a date with a guy who said, oh, you work in romance, ha ha. And I understand, especially from like your average dude who doesn't really know much about the genre where that was coming from. But yeah. part of me just wanted to shake him and go, no, these writers are incredibly talented. Look at all of these things that they do. Look at all of the amazing different ways they're telling happily ever after stories. Look at how important it is. And I mean, that relationship didn't end up working out for other reasons. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, yeah. it's um, I think that the genre and the people that work in it are chronically underestimated. And I think that, you know, it's a it's about time that authors got their just due. Mm-hmm. So so. Like you, okay, scenario, like you go to a cocktail party and it's like the fancy industry cocktail party or is it like just regular, it's regular cocktail party or or industry. Actually, it doesn't even really matter Uh, because I want to hear about the scenario for both. So like you're at a cocktail party and you're like talking to these people you don't know and they go, oh, what do you do? And you say, hey, I'm a fancy New York book editor. And then they go, oh, what kind of books? And then you say romance. Are those like are their faces in those two instances different? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think in publishing, especially, their editors, people who are very immersed in the industry and are cognizant of how powerful right. a genre and how devoted the readership is, are aware of its potency and won't laugh at it and won't scorn it because that is what's funding. I mean, it brings a lot of money in, and so they're aware of. of what it actually is. Right. Um, I think, you know, when, if I were to, if I mention it to sort of civilian, if you will, <laughs> I, I, oh, I mean, I get the laughs, I get the scorn and, you know, it, it you know, and I say, no, I'll, I'll always, you know, if I do get that, I'll always do my best to correct the individual and say, Hey, you know, actually they, you know, they're incredibly pa- passionate and skilled. And, you know, especially if they have to write shorter, they have to you know, pack all this character and plot development in a relatively short period of time. And I, mm-hmm. I always do my best to represent Harlequin and represent the genre that I work for wherever I go. And I think, you know, again, having, I've been in Harlequin for over four years now and you see day in, day out how incredibly talented these people are. And I think that I would, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing them justice if I didn't say, you know, do my bit and, Say, hey, you know, actually, they're really. T- I mean, yeah. again, it's it's uh, it depends on the scenario, I suppose, because if you're at a cocktail party, you can't go, hey, no, and really disagree. <laughs> or, I mean, even if internally you want to yell at somebody, but I think whenever I can, I try and correct the misconception that romance is shallow or is, you know, there are certain or, or that it's just a bodice ripper. I mean, even the New York Times still uses that phrase, and I think that there's a place for it in romance in the timeline of romance, but that's mm-hmm. not what 
you know, the romance novel today of today, by and large, reflects the woman of today of 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 many different ages and backgrounds and yeah, and 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 I think that uh, it, again, it does an injustice to the many different groups of people that are reading and writing romance if people don't recognize that. And I think that it can, if it isn't something that you're immersed in, I un, I can understand where the misconception comes from, but I do always try and and rectify that notion if I can. Mm-hmm. So related question. Yep. Do your parents know what you do? Oh, of course. Do they yeah. read it though? <laughs> like, do they read no, your books? I don't think so. I mean, I'll tell them, like, if there's a story that I'm particularly passionate about, I'll, I'll definitely mention it. But no, I mean, you know, my mom's an editor and a magazine editor. So it's oh. interesting sometimes to talk with her about just the editorial process and comparing working with um, journalists or um, she does work with some, you know, works with some subright stuff for actually for HarperCollins for just excerpts of her own magazine. It's just interesting to compare experiences. But I mean, you know, if something funny happens with like relation to, you know, like a scene, I might mention it, but you know, I think, you know, my job is my job and, and, and I generally, you know, barring like the occasional funny anecdote, it's, I see it as, you know, it's a job. So I, unless something particularly funny happens, I, you know, I don't really feel the need to mention genitalia to my family on a daily basis. <laughs> Darn. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they're <laughs> I don't as well. I mean, I think it'd be quite awkward, uh, and and I don't plan on trying. Good, <laughs> it's not good exactly for you. Experiment. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, and you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty decent line to keep in the sand. This is a good moment to mention that both of our parents are listening to this podcast, yeah, and we on. are talking it's about genitalia because I've told, I've mentioned it to them, and they're excited, and, <laughs> and you know, I'm sure is when they hear this, they will be glad to know that I'm not mentioning every single love scene that I edit, and nor were the situations situations reversed where my mother, a romance editor, what I want, what I need to hear about. I mean, also because you know, what's the point of describing? You know, if it was a really great story that I wanted her to read, I'd want to get her to get the book. So you know, it it uh, there's there's no need to uh, to necessarily bring that into a parent child relationship. So, so I have, I have one more question about like Harlequin and then, then we've got a couple other questions, but tell, tell us a story about romance publishing that couldn't happen in any other type of publishing. You sometimes have had to mention, ask an author, like, you know, uh, if a hero doesn't get the heroine off, why not? Like, is there a point to that? Otherwise, generally it's nice to be able to, to, in books as in life, it's always nice to be reciprocal, <laughs> and I can't believe I just said that out loud. But being <laughs> against the genre by women for women, and I think it's, it's I don't think unless there's like a specific point to not mention, I don't, it's not it's rarely I don't think it'd be an intentional mission, but it's important to keep in mind. And I think you know, like anything else, it's always a conversation to have, and you know, ultimately, a book is an author's baby, and I completely respect that. But I think you know, I completely understand why you know. It's a weird conversation to have, especially, you know, if you're working with someone that you've only, you know, you've spoken to on the phone and but you've never actually met in person. And there are people that I've worked with for years and the authors know wonderful, but it's just when I look at it from like a try and take a step back, it's it's odd that like you're talking about orgasms and like the mechanics of gen of like this goes here and that works this how you know, like <laughs> that doesn't actually make any sense but with people that you've never actually met in person and it's kind of funny but you know i think that 
you know, we're all professional. I mean, yes, there's definitely the occasional titter or giggle, but um, some diagram drawing. There would be a lot of tittering and giggling yeah. if I were a romance editor. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, it's also just, it's just fun to work on. Yeah. A lot of it is, can be lighthearted and, you know, happily ever after at its heart is happy. Right. So I think it's hard, like, in particular, is a fun place to work because you're working with great people and great authors. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, you are not just a a uh, editorial person at Harlequin. You are also a historian. We see yes, here. Yes, I am. Yeah. What, uh, the, what the hell is up with that? <laughs> okay. So this is sort of. I'm both uh, an editor, historian, and thoroughbred horse racing journalist. What? Um, nice. Yeah. What, it, what not, a... and, and none of those really overlap. Nor it's not like one sort of dovetail from the other. Well, so that was going to be my question: is like, like where you, the hell did that come from? Where the hell did it come from? But also, I how do you don't. ever see yourself using your knowledge or work experience in any of those fields to like talk about or yeah, inform the I'm other? Yeah, totally surprised. So, so I'm gonna fir- first let me tell you sort of about where the different things came from. Yeah. So, I've always been an ancient history nerd. I mean, since. You know, we learned about it in grade school. I just kept devouring information. And I, I went to Barnard College, which is part of Columbia University here in New York. Mm-hmm. And I majored in religion, minored in classics, figured I might as well spend my four years in college geeking out, which I did. Loved it. And for me, I when I graduated, I either wanted to go the PhD route and go on to get a degree in classics somewhere or into publishing. Now, I didn't know exactly what kind of publishing I wanted to do. But for me, I wanted to really start working. So yeah. I, I ended up going the publishing route, and I think that for me that was ended up being the right path. But I always had this insatiable love to read and write about history, in particular ancient history. I wrote I wrote my thesis in undergrad about um, cursing in ancient Rome. Like I always loved sort of the weird, the yeah. wild, the the sexy, the sort of the ah, the, the sexy, the the really random stuff that nobody thinks about. Whether it's a urine tax. On mm-hmm. ancient Rome that helped bring in money in like you know the year the 70s AD or it's cursing or magic or things like that that are sort of the bizarre. So I started working at Harlequin, but I also knew that I wanted to somehow express this love for history. So I'd been freelance writing since before I graduated from college, but I started um, really sort of having it pick up. Uh, I think maybe about three years ago, and since then. I've been writing, you know, long form academic light articles Mm -hmm. and doing serious historical researching, interviewing some of the most renowned historians in the world, like Mary Beard, Zaki Mm -hmm. Hawass, who was uh, one of the basically, if you've ever seen a documentary documentary on Egyptology, you've seen him with the Indiana Jones hat. He's a very. Yeah. Oh, no. He was really interesting. Um, one of my – I worked as the ancient history expert for About.com for about a year and a half. Oh, that's fun. I worked and edited a, for a website called History Buff. And more recently, I've done a bunch of writing for Atlas Obscura for The Atlantic, which was really exciting. Um, and I actually have a piece in the works for the Smithsonian. So in addition to that, I've also given – a number of talks um, or locally here, but I also just spoke at this thing called Nerd Night, which is a great program. Um, it's actually worldwide, but it's like nerdy talks and engaging. And I spoke on a stage in front of 150 people. And what, it was, is, what, it, what was your topic? Uh, it was called A Plague Upon Both Your Togas, Cursing in Ancient Rome. <laughs> it was about – it was so it was near and dear to my heart because I had done research on this years ago. But it was about – you know, it's like – love curses and magic and things that are fun and interesting so that it doesn't dovetail at all with my interest in romance it's just sort of 
I'm someone that if I'm passionate about something, I'm not, I don't want to let it fall by the wayside and, and leave part of myself unfulfilled. So the na- very nature of my day job, I'm not going to, you know, you can't hit every beat in everything you do. So I was determined to pursue that yeah. elsewhere in addition to my, my day job. Okay. So where and, did the horse thing come from? <laughs> okay. I'm about to get to that. So I was also <laughs> I was a giant horse racing fan. I, I think since 1997, I grew up riding, you know, now, you know, I took lessons when I was a kid and I became, I started I wrote my, I had my first online thoroughbred pedigree analysis column when I was 13 on one of the nation's thoroughbred uh, pedigree the analysis. That sounds yeah, fancy as all hell. Uh, yeah, one of the websites of one of the nation's leading uh, industry publications. And ever since then, I've done some stuff on and off, but um, it's always been something I've been incredibly knowledgeable about and passionate about. And that, it's something like history that like, I love to study. I study, you know, books and I have volumes and I have like, I, it's really meaty and delicious for me. Again, I can't, couldn't tell you what exactly, but I mean, I traveled to different races all over the world. I've gone to the Derby. I've done some crazy, awesome interviews. I go to Saratoga every year and I love it. So again, it's something that not, it doesn't come up in romance. So I wanted to make sure that I really go after writing about that. So I've written, I've written for the blood horse, the thoroughbred daily news. I mean, these are industry publications that you know, it's not a name like the Atlantic, but within the industry, they're very well known. And I really, you know, that's, I'm a horse person at heart. And, yeah. um, so for me, I really love being able to tap into that passion. So, so, so you're telling me that if I, as an agent came to you with a romantic novel about <laughs> ancient Roman horse racing and love curses, you would be all up on it. Definitely. But you want to know something funny. There's actually incidences where all those things dovetail. So, what is interesting about the horse stuff is I do edit a lot of Westerns. And <laughs> oh, that's fun. Cowboys are really – something that's also sort of unique to, to romance is that there are a lot of really great hooks. So babies, pregnancy. I know now a lot more about babies than I ever thought I would or would ever need to know. I But um, the cowboys you know, I, are very I didn't know sexy. a lot about cowboys, but I know, I've always known a lot about horses. So that's something that has come in handy in terms of whether it's lingo or – uh, just general knowledge of like, you know, where a fetlock is on a horse, I could tell you. I mean, you could also Google it, but, you know, it also just comes in handy in terms of, you know, I'm general. Sc- I'm you know, scared to way. Google it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, again, the horse rate, it's rare that it comes up, but it's it just gives me a laugh when it does. Yeah. Now, those three things sort of developed completely independently of one another. But, again, I always wanted to – I always try and pursue – a passion. And for me, it's always been writing or editing and working on certain things in an in editorial capacity. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've always got, you know, four or five other balls in the air and just in terms of things I'm working on in my own spare time. Yeah. And I think that's something that I sort of, I think I got from my parents and, and my sister's the same way. They're always very encouraged to go after what we're passionate about and make it happen. And, you know, history is not the most lucrative of professions if you're looking at something as a historian. So I've done my best to try and figure out a way to... So you went with the way more lucrative publishing, (laughs) (laughs) right? Exactly. But, you know, again, it's it's all about having people talk about sort of like a side hustle in today's day and age. No, there are very few people that just sort of have one thing they do. And for me, part of it was, you know, rent in the city is... um, You you feel like you're always one step apart of selling a kidney, Mm -hmm. but it's also that, I mean, which I've never had to do, let me clarify, and I do not plan on doing, but it's also that, you know, 
I didn't want to leave those stones unturned because it would feel to me like part of me was unfulfilled. So I've, I took those two, you know, the need to, to survive in New York and the desire to flex those specific muscles yeah. and turn into side careers. And I couldn't, I mean, I, I love it. I couldn't imagine not doing that. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to. So we're, we have one final question, a question that we are asking all of our guests. We just, we just like made this up because you're only our second guest, but we have decided we are going to ask this of all of our guests. Is it about corgis? <laughs> it's not. It it's is not. not thank, but thank I, I understand your corgi obsession now more that you're obsessed with thoroughbred horses. It makes more sense now because they're both majestic creatures. I mean, it's so funny because horses are majestic in the – I mean, thoroughbreds in particular are majestic in the, you know, elegant, long leg, whereas corgis are – Stumpy, and they look like chicken nuggets with legs. I like, I like my, I like my dogs short, round, and low to the ground. I mean, it's basically like, like my men. Feet. <laughs> anyway, Sorry, uh, oh, nothing. Um, so, um, our last question here yes, is, uh, it's really simple, and you can answer it however you want. Uh, which is like, what would you change about publishing if you could change one thing? As someone who works in it, as someone who sort of knows it now, uh, what would you make different about your publishing experience? That's a good question. I'm, I'm fortunate to really love what I do yeah. and to enjoy working with a lot of great people. I think that what I would change, and you know, I wish I could wave a magic wand, but I really want to spend more time working on as much time as I could, really working to help improve the and help expand the group of authors that I work with to include authors of more diverse backgrounds, of different, yeah, you know different ethnicities and different religions and really helps see those individuals have their books represented in Harlequin series and my list in particular. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the great things about Twitter is it's enabled me to listen and to learn. And, you know, it's great to talk about animals or to talk about even serious issues because Lord knows I love cute picture of a dog every now and I mean, every now and then every five (laughs) minutes, but it's so, I've, you know, been able to follow individuals who are speaking about certain experiences that I can't relate to, I don't know yeah. about, and I've been able to educate myself and learn to become a better ally. And through that, I've, you know, it, it's just fueled my desire to acquire more diverse voices for my own list for romance, because there are those voices out there. And I would love to do whatever I could to use whatever small platform I have to help, you know, allow those voices to be heard. Yeah, no, that's great. Wonderful. Well, Carly, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was, it was great. A pleasure. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having me. What a fun interview that yeah, was. <laughs> I've never used the word cock so many times in a podcast, but look, we just added another one. Oh, uh, let's close it out with the <laughs> let's close it out with the pub tip before uh, I embarrass my mother even further. Um, well, we're all embarrassing our mothers here, but uh, <laughs> um, so. I guess this week, um, this is another, um, you'll notice a lot of our pub tips are really simple, and I think that's kind of the point. And today, um, I got in a, I got in a query that it led with something that I found quite strange, and it said, since I know that you love books set in New Mexico, comma, and I stopped and I thought, I have never, I don't think I've ever once said anywhere, and it's definitely not written anywhere, that I w- want books in written in New Mexico. I don't think you've ever said anything about and New Mexico. I, I very inf- I'm very agnostic about New Mexico. I know. I was in New Mexico <laughs> over Christmas, and you had nothing to say. <laughs> but the point, the point here is that don't, like, 
the first thing is to double check who, you know, if you've pulled that from somebody else and you were querying them and now you're sending the letter to somebody else, like make sure that you're specifying um, your personal bits for the person you're actually sending it to. And the other thing really is just go to the source for that stuff. Like I know there's a lot of aggregate sites that have agents and various things, but like um, you can always go double check what an agent is looking for on that on their website, on their Twitter or something, but like really, really be sure that you're addressing them in a specific way because like, you know, just the kind of vague, I mean, it's not that it's lying, but just like, um, you can tell me I want to, <laughs> you want, I want a book about a frog yeah. in a tuxedo and that doesn't make it true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just like, be specific and make sure you've done just that cursory few minutes of homework before you hit send on the email. Um, just to make, cause it, you know, you don't want your, um, reader bewildered as they're preparing their pitch <laughs> but yeah so that's kind of it for today. so that's it thank you so much for joining us and thank you to carly silver yeah, for joining great. us as well we will see you next week bye, bye.